With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Stick Blade Podcast. It's your place for all things Detroit Red Wings and all things Chicago Blackhawks news and updates, as well as from around the NHL. With your hosts, Jordan Linscott, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stompanato. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to another edition of the Stickblade Podcast, where Detroit Red Wings and Chicago Blackhawks Red Rivals Podcast, where we cover all things Detroit Red Wings, all things Chicago Blackhawks, and just general news around the NHL. Uh, tonight's show has got a little bit to talk about with the Hawks uh, regarding some salary and employee situations on the actual business side of the organization. Uh, Hawks walking away from a couple of goalie prospects, what that means for their goaltending situation looking forward. And also the fact that if the NHL really does move to this 24-team playoff format that they're talking about with a shortened season, what does that mean for the Hawks? And then when we transfer over to the Red Wings side of the podcast, we're going to be talking about Danny DeKaiser's injury update. Also, Moritz Sider, pretty fun interview listening to him talk about uh, his potential moves for this upcoming season. Uh, and also just the same rumor that goes around every year, Pavel Datsuk coming back to the league. And then after we talk about the Wings and the Hawk, we're going to transfer off to the rest of the NHL, in particular this 2014 playoff format that we are looking at, where it's 24 teams in the playoffs this year, and that will determine the Stanley Cup champion, what that means for the draft lottery, because that's also going to be something that's going to be factored in. And also the CBA rework talks that have been going on the past couple weeks is I feel like that's important. And then not necessarily NHL-related exactly, but the AHL basically shutting down for the season. So with anyway, all that being said, I'm going to stop my rambling on tonight's show. I'll be your host, Jordan Linscott, and I'm going to be joined by my co-host, David Barnhouse, and a new co-host to the Stickblade podcast, Tim Stompanato. So everybody, welcome Tim to the show. Um, how are you guys doing tonight? Doing great. Doing, doing good to be here. Man. Excited to finally have some hockey to talk about <laughs> exactly okay so uh like i said tim you're new to the show so why don't you go ahead and just introduce us or introduce yourself to us a little bit and to the listeners of the show just so we can sort of get a feel for for how you sort of look at the organizations and what your outlook is i guess on the future of the teams yeah absolutely uh so i've been a diehard hawks fan since i was a you know kid you know, growing up in the early nineties, uh, my folks are both massive Hawks fans. We got a signed Makita stick in the basement. You know, I, you know, grew up, you know, loving the Hawks, loving hockey, uh, never really played it all. I can't skate for, can't skate worth anything. I played a couple, uh, intramural seasons of floor hockey, led my team in penalty minutes two years in a row. That's my hockey claim to fame. 
when it comes to the current organization, I'm a glass half full guy. I like to refer to myself as a tragic optimist. I hope the best for the hot. We've got a lot of good pieces in place. On on paper, we should be competitive, and we've still got a solid core. You know, Kane, Taze, Keith, the Brinket. We've got the people in that can succeed. But I've been hurt, and I'm going to continue to be hurt, and I'm expecting to be hurt. So <laughs> I've got my eyes open, but my heart's full for the Hawks. All right. Well, since we're on topic with the Hawks, let's go ahead and just talk about the Hawks because the podcast has been away for a couple weeks. Like I always say, I'd rather put out meaningful content than rather filler episodes every week. So just in the past couple weeks that we haven't been really recording, um, a couple things that I want to talk about. Um, The first thing is, this is more of an actual just dollars and cents uh, piece of news than anything else. Um, the Hawks organization having to essentially reduce salaries and furlough employees. For anybody who's giving the Hawks organization bad press for this, this isn't something that they really have control at this point. I mean, the season has been basically on hiatus for almost three months now. I mean, at the start of June, we'll be just shy of three months. So this isn't something that the organization is happy about doing this isn't like a, hey, we're going to be, you know, just super tight with our money and refuse to pay people. This is literally, this is a move that the organization has to make. I mean, yeah. And one of the things you notice, you know, Danny Wirtz even came out and said, you know, we were fortunate to not have to immediately relocate our staff or resources. You know, they put this off as long as they could. There's no way anyone could predict how long this would go and there's no way that any organization can sustain themselves in a way where they could they had to do something and i'm glad that the hawks took care of people for as long as they could and something had to we knew something was going to give um then i guess just sort of moving on from that um the two pieces of news though for the hawks that i really want to talk about this week uh one what does the goalie situation look like in Chicago this upcoming season? I mean, a bit of news coming out actually just recently that the Hawks walked away from two of their goalie prospects. So with the fact that as of this moment, Leonard is not inked to a contract in Chicago next season and Crawford is still a question mark whether he's coming back. I mean, what do you guys think that Chicago should do for a goalie situation? Do you think they should just promote one of their AHL guys up and say, you are going to be the backup and we're going to find a starter in free agency. Do you think Crawford comes back? Do you think Glenner comes back? I mean, what do you guys think the Hawks do? So I think we've talked about these two a lot um, in the past and you're only going to be able to keep one of them. So I think Chicago really needs to just think about which one they're keeping. And then I would say promoting one of their under guy, their younger guys to kind of be the backup, but also look at free agency for another serviceable backup. So, because most teams like to have, you know, two to three goalies like on rotation, not on rotation, but like a third one to back up just in case. So, I think they're going to look for one in free agency, but I think they're going to promote from within. Um, but yeah, you can only keep either one of Leonard or Crawford. They're both starting caliber goalies, and you don't want to pay two starters. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely correct about that. We. We've paid two starters the last two years with having Cam Ward and then with Leonard. I'm one of the people that thinks that Crawford's going to come back. I think they're going to have him on a reduced salary, not you know too much reduced. I'm hoping for like a two-year, four-mil kind of contract. Uh, my money's on Delia 
being the next one up as the backup. So we see that tandem. He's got NHL experience. He's dealt with adversity. He's been able to come back from it. I like not only the skills growth, but the character growth in Delia over the last two years. I think he makes the most sense to fit as a backup for Mm -hmm. Crawford. And that leaves us with uh, Lankanen, Tompkins, and then Nalimov signed, I think, a PTO or like a a, a quick contract in the uh, AHL. So I think we still got Nalimov. I think it'll be a rotation of those three down in Rockford. But uh, I, I see Crawford coming back. That's the stability. And then we're able to figure out our long-term plan in those next two years. So let's say... Like, let's say you guys are able to get Crawford at four. I mean, because this season you had Crawford inked, uh, what was he, five? He was Crawford's, just uh, six. Oh, was he a six? Okay. Yep. So, say he takes a $2 million discount and you promote from within, that saves you $2 million off the cap just from your goalie situation. Um, say you don't bring Leonard back and he goes elsewhere, you've got Leonard's cap to also work with. I mean, in theory, you guys could bolster somewhere else. I mean, where would you want to see that actual like money placed at, Tim? Well, here's the kicker. I'm less optimistic on that because like, we've got Debrinkit's contract kicking in. That's the 6.4 mil. And so less Leonard's, you know, get rid of Leonard's 5 mil or whatever, and then a million off of, you know, Crawford's 2 million that we're assuming again i'm just assuming he's gonna take he could take something around to four mil uh that goes into the 6.4 mil for to and then i think our first and foremost goal we have to resign kubalik and i'm a big strom fan i want to see us resign strom i think that his production this year helped us get him at a lower level than he could have been gotten at uh but i think that the kubalik contract is going to be a little tricky basically once once we lock them up i've seen it thrown around that we might have to buy out mata or you know zach smith but i'm i'm actually a little more nervous about the cap even with our goalie situation you know saving it because delia's on the one mil contract uh it's going to be tight but if there's you know one thing that stan does relatively well he gets himself into cap messes but he can also navigate the cap pretty decently once he's in a mess so we've still got nylander on another year of his entry level there's room to play around with the bottom six uh but most of our you know we've got a ton of defensemen you know dahan and mata are both in the four mills something's got to give on that end we're We've got a. We're going to end up buying somebody out. I think. So hopefully you guys don't go the way of the Red Wings and and get forced into ridiculous dollars for ridiculous terms. Because just speaking from experience, that is one of the worst places to be at in the cap. Oh, absolutely. I, I I'm a big Seabrook fan, and I love Seabrook, and I still think he brings a lot to the table. And I'm curious to see what he does when he comes back from his hip surgeries. The six point eight at that term that's left is really really difficult for me to look at when i'm looking at cap friendly <laughs> he's the just an abdicator of defensemen yeah oh, oh man he's so good in so many ways so not with the 6.8 mil <laughs> if you could like cut the salary in half you'd be happy basically yeah, i'd be thrilled oh my gosh i love seabrook and i want him on the team at half at half <laughs> um 
We can move out of the goalie talk for a minute. Let's talk about the playoffs because Chicago hasn't been in the playoff race for the past two years, right? And that has acquired you guys, Kirby Doc and Adam Boquist, both who are, at least at this point, looking to for sure be NHL players. I mean, say the Hawks make the playoffs because of this 2014 playoff format that is being thrown around right now. If they make it, do you think that the Hawks try to make another deep run and just capitalize on this Keith Kane Aves era that they're in right now? Because it's going to come crashing down. And I say this all the time, Detroit is literally the textbook example of franchises falling apart. So do you feel like the organization just should just say, we're in the window, we go for it now, it's going to like basically screw us over later, but you have to do it right now while the window's open. I think we got to swing for it while the window's open. Oh, then we can't, we're in a position where we can't do a full-blown teardown rebuild because of the amount of no movement clauses and the amount of term that people have. You know, we've got Kane, Taze, Keith, Seabrook that are, they're locked in. They're not going anywhere. And that's a big chunk of our cash. And while they're still able to move, while Kane, I mean, Kane is going to play, I think he's going to play into his 40s. But with the way that we're structured right now, I don't think that we should sell the farm to make a deep playoff run. But if we can, you know, for next year, buy a guy out, pick up maybe one or two more, like we thought Shaw was going to be before we got hurt, somebody to complement scoring, somebody to round us out a little bit. We got to go for it. It, um, I just watched the, I finished up the last dance the other day and I'm looking at, you know, what they wouldn't give for one more championship. And that's got to be where they're at. You know, right now the organization's got to win now because there's no guarantee the rebuild's going to get us back where we are now. None. I mean, Kane and Taze are both making what is it? It's like ten or it was yeah ten point five. So I mean, you got twenty mil tied up in those guys, and I'm not saying those guys aren't great players. Obviously, we all know they are, but you have that kind of money tied up. Your team's not flexible right now. Like, no, you can't just start trading players and pieces away without completely trying to Frankenstein your team. I mean, David, you saw it with us with like the way Holland handled it when he thought that we were a team like, do you think Chicago should go the route of just trying to push through the window or no? I mean, the the evil side of me says yes. And then watch them struggle like we have, (laughs) but you know, don't, it's not, it's not worth it. I mean, what happened to us? We got our asses handed to us first round of the playoffs for how many years? It just was not fun to watch. And then the last couple of times we made the playoffs, it was just like just squeaking under the crack to get in the playoffs. Like that was not the Red Wings that we want the Red Wings to be. I don't care. I was, I, I wanted them to just blow up the team and not make stupid contract signings like Steven Weiss and the Abdicator contract. Like that hurt us for the future more than it helped us for what was the present. So don't do it. <laughs> it but do if, it. I thought, if I thought there was a way that we could do that, I would be all for it. But what I'm terrified of is they try to go for a rebuild and what they end up doing is shipping away, you know, any of the impact guys that were of value and we're stuck with, 
Kane, Taze, Keith, and Seabrook, and an assortment of kids and throwaway contracts that just end up frustrating them. You know, they don't necessarily want to be a part of a big rebuild. True. And it's tough. Yeah, but, you know, you get rid of players. Like, look at us. We, we traded away guys like Nyquist and Tatar. Yeah. And you're going to hear this name a lot, but because we traded away Tatar, we were able to get, you know, God's gift himself, Joe fucking Valeno. <laughs> <laughs> there's, you know, there's Jesus Christ, and then there's Joe Valeno. God, God gets shown a picture of both of them, and he's like, I can't tell the difference. <laughs> this is the same picture. <laughs> it is, it's the same picture. Oh, my goodness. Hey, it, if Mitchell starts to pan out, you know, if Mitchell jumps in next year and can make an impact, if Bocas continues to grow, you know, Doc hit the ground running and had a very impressive first year. If those guys can keep taking a step forward, we've got our youth movement coming in. We've quietly been assembling a youth movement to complement the veterans. It's just a matter of making sure that the young guys' window and the veterans' window have some sort of sweet Venn diagram middle that I'm hoping for, and not that they're like two passing ships in the night. And I think that's really, really the thing about it, right, is... You look at any team in the NHL who's done a rebuild, and I'm not talking about the Edmonton Oilers or Buffalo Sabres because those teams are just dumpster fire examples of rebuilds gone wrong. But you look at any of the teams in the NHL that have really done rebuilds. That's how they happened, right? You had this whole group of young players. You had this whole group of older players. And you had this weird... What am I looking for? I guess I'll take your Venn diagram example where... You have these two different circles and they're getting closer, closer together. And eventually they do overlap and that's your window right there. Yeah. Oh, I mean, even look at, uh, look at the blues the other year, you know, they had Rob Thomas come up as a, you know, kid and all of a sudden he's making an impact you need the veterans alone. Can't do it. The caps had Jacob Vrana and even, you know, I forget how old, uh, Wilson is. I think he's in his twenties still, mm-hmm. uh, but they've got these people that are hitting their peaks that are allowing the veteran guys, there's a little more breathing room now. They're not the ones that have to shoulder everything and suddenly they're free to be dangerous again. They're kind of the, you know, like the perennial contenders, but I mean, Boston, Tampa Bay, Washington teams, like you look at those rosters, right? You've got guys who are older. You've got guys who are towards the middle of their career. And then you have a couple guys just starting. And those are the perennial contenders. Yep. The guys who are mm-hmm. all like the guys with the teams that are always in this mix, right? I mean, we'll take the caps, right? Ovechkin, Backstrom, Carlson, Oshi. Oshi. Those guys are a little bit older. But then you also have guys like, you know, Kuznetsov, like Tom Wilson. You've got a veteran goaltender like Braden Holtby, who's been around a minute and was able to sort of be that starter while they had guys like Philip Grubauer playing back up and getting that experience. That overlapping window, I think, is really what makes contenders in the NHL. Absolutely. Well, mm-hmm. you, you talked about uh, Boston. Look at Boston with the way they've got, you know, Chara, who's, I think now that Yager's out, I think Chara's the old, is. Is Char the oldest in the NHL? Him or Mar- somebody's close up there. I want to say it's either him, Marlow, or Thornton. One of those three is the oldest. I, I'd, I'd put money on Chara, but yeah, it's it's those top three, I think. But you've got you know Chara, you've got you know Marshawn Bergeron, you've got your old guard, 
and then you've got Pasternak, and it was insanity. So good. It's offensive. You've got, you know, McAvoy, Krug. They have found a way to draft smart, and they've also got a player development that clearly works. You know, to me, you can get high picks, you can draft people all day long, but if you don't have the player development for them, I look at, like, Arizona. Arizona should be in an infinitely better place. Now, they're getting there, but it should have come along a lot faster than it did just with the the people that they've got on their team that should have been studs that it took a lot longer for them to grow. You know, I look at a place like mm-hmm. Boston and suddenly these young kids, these rookies and people that are first, second year in the league, they hit the ground running and they're in a position to succeed. That's a, that's a huge telling point. Yeah. So just to bring back to a random thing, Chara is the oldest at 43, but when Yager comes back in two years at 50, <laughs> he'll be the oldest again. And I'm not ruling that out. The guy. Yeah. He's never going to quit. He's going to be like 85 and still skating like he's in his 30s. And still putting people to shame. That's the thing. Oh, yeah. Um, Does anybody have anything else for the Blackhawks before we move on to the uh, right-wing side of the podcast? Nope. I think, you know, I've just been hearing some good stuff out of Rockford with Derek King. You know, I've been seeing a lot of of end-of-the-season reviews for some of the, you know, rookies that we've got coming up the Rockford kids you know and Twizel I guess had a pretty good year they're hoping he can be a middle six or a bottom six forward uh King had a ton of compliments on uh Khrushchev and so I'm very excited if he can take it to the next level I just want to see our pipeline more you know Bodan and you know Chad Chris and stuff and see if there's any of them in the next year or two you know from the way that Rockford is sounding there's no sure things down there right now. Nothing like, you know, Doc or Boquist. But if we can get, you know, from listening to what King was saying the other day, there's at least a potential, which is more than we've had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all on my end. Okay. Well, we can move on to the Red Wings side of the podcast then. Uh, for the Red Wings side of the podcast, a couple pieces of news to talk about. Uh, Danny DeKaiser, uh, a little bit of an injury update on him. Uh, Moritz Sider's interview with the Grand Rapids Griffins. And then this r- stupid rumor that goes around every season, it seems like, with Datsuk coming back to the NHL. So let's go ahead and start with the Danny DeKaiser one first. Um, for anybody who isn't aware, last season, Danny DeKaiser had a season-ending injury, which basically took away really one of Detroit's only top four defensemen. And we weren't great with Danny DeKaiser in lineup as was as it was anyway, but him leaving the lineup basically took one of our only top four defensemen out of the lineup. It looks, at least at this point, like he's going to be coming back healthy next season. This is good for the team, not even ages cap reasons, but Detroit needs a competent defenseman, and last season was just downright ugly without somebody like him. I mean, our defensive situation has just been downright ugly. Um, we have young guys that are still developing and we have, you know, guys that shouldn't still be playing, but it'll be nice to see him come back and kind of fill the role he had been filling if he's healthy. I mean, don't forget you've got Jonathan Erickson there. So who? Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, He's dead to me. Fun fact, Erickson is done after the season, and so is Daly. So we basically just picked up like five million cap space. So that's Daly's fun. Going, that's Daly's going to a contender, man. For you. Daly's <laughs> going to a contender. He said it himself. Oh my god. I I wish I had that kind of like just 
I don't want to say lack of self-awareness, but it's it's a confidence. He's got a strong confidence, and you need that in the sport. Oh my goodness! But no, I I'm excited to hear that Danny DeKaiser is coming back. I'm not the hugest. I'm not like the biggest fan of Danny DeKaiser by any means, but. Detroit needs another like defenseman who can actually play a decent amount of minutes and who can essentially be put out there and be trusted similarly to what Philip Ronick was this season for us. I mean, Detroit's going to need him back this season if they want to even just not be as terrible as they were this past season. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I think the other defenseman that I want to talk about a little bit more is more at cider. So I'll be honest, when Detroit picked up Moritz Sider in his draft year, I was not mad at the pick. I don't know how you felt about it, David, but it was sort of one of those head-scratcher picks where you looked at it and you thought, you know, this isn't a great pickup, but it, or not that it wasn't a great pickup, but you felt like it could have been happened, something that happened later in the draft. He um, was not on my radar. Yeah, and like, because the thing is, like, I think a lot of mock drafts had him going somewhere between like the I think it was like twelve to sixteen slot or something like that. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. a mid first round from what a lot of people were projecting. Mm-hmm. And so he had a really interesting interview for the Grand Rapids Griffins YouTube channel. Um, basically, they were talking to him about you know what he's looking for for the next season. And he got asked, you know, are you planning to make Detroit next season? And he said, you know, hopefully. And the thing is this, Moritz Sider is, he's an interesting case study, right? Because he came from a league over in Germany, which he was playing against grown men. And you can say, you know, Germany is not the best league in the world to play with, which is fair. But the fact is you're playing against fully grown men in that league and He's going back this, or he has been spending this time off from the season to go and basically retrain with the club over in Mannheim that he came from. So he's not taking the summer off. And the thing that I liked about most in his interview is that the interviewer asked him a question, you know, how do you feel about this summer? And he said, it's the most important summer of his career. That means a lot for me coming from him. Yeah, he, um, like we said, we weren't expecting it. And after the draft, like they drafted him, I was watching like highlight videos of him, and he is just this shut down defenseman, which is what we've been sorely missing. And if I recall correctly, there were strong rumors that if we didn't pick him, um, the next team was going to pick him, from what I remember reading. So I like him. He's got a lot of grit. Um, he's a very determined player. I hope he, you know, this is a very important summer, like you said, because he wants to continue to grow and he wants to make the team that drafted him. He, nothing against the Grand Rapids Griffins, but he wants to be a Detroit Red Wing. And uh, I'm hoping he develops and becomes, you know, our German Liedstrom. And like the other thing is this, right? I mean, Detroit's going to have a defensive exodus this offseason. Erickson's leaving. Daly's leaving. Mike Green got traded to the Oilers. I mean, if there was ever a time to seize a spot on the Red Wings and have it be a long-term spot, this now, is that time. Uh, forgive me. Who else? You know, I'm trying to look through. I'm not as familiar with the Wings pipeline. Aside from Cider, are you excited for like McIsaac? Who Who are some other people that you project? McIsaac's a good one. Uh, Chalowski's a good one. Okay. Um, Gustav Lindstrom, I, I think he's going to be making this team next year. 
Mm-hmm. Really? Okay. But I really feel like Moritz Sider and Philip Hronik are going to be our one-two punch moving forward. I I think that there's a lot. I think there's a lot that points to that working. I mean, you look again, not to go back to Boston, but when you look at, you know, McAvoy and Chara, the way that they worked out well together, you know, I think if you bring up Snyder and put him with, like, I think that could work really, really well, especially with Philip Hronick, you know, having a little bit more. Was this his first year or second year in the league? Uh, technically, this was his second year, but this, I believe, was his first full season. Okay. Excellent. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's a have an offensive-minded Hronick with a defensive-minded uh, Snyder. That would be a great pairing. I'm all for it. That would be slick. I and, and I, I know this is going to be bold, but after watching Moritz Cider play, I again I know this is bold, but I legitimately think that he could be as good as Duncan Keith when he actually hits his prime. His two A game just is so good right now, and he's not even 21. I definitely, the fact that you said he's not taking the summer off, the fact that he's talking about things like this is my most important summer, it sounds like he's got a Keith-esque work ethic and a Keith-esque drive, which, man, that's a game changer. You know, that takes a person who could be a top four guy and make him a top two guy. I'm excited. Again, I'm not excited because I really don't want you guys to pick up speed that quickly, but I'm excited (laughs) to see just from the sport, how those two work together. But that was, or those two, I think were the really big pieces of wings news to talk about. Um, This one, or like the last one that I want to talk about, and this one comes out every year for some reason, this rumor coming around that Pavel Datsuk is coming back to the NHL and he's going to play for the Red Wings another season, blah, blah, blah. Can we please shut this rumor down, please? please? No, I want the magic man back, but yeah, it's, it's just a rumor. He's going to resign in Russia and finish out his career there. I think he already did. He might've, uh, at least I, th- I think I saw that in like the last couple weeks that he signed something in Russia, another contract. Uh, I think it was a one year deal. Yeah. Which means he's coming back to the wings next year. That's yeah. It. He's, he's waiting. He's waiting it out. He wants to go to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> That's where Yager's gonna go. Yager's gonna go to Seattle and become the fifty-year-old captain. I would give anything. <laughs> Seattle just signs every single retired player who's able to actually skate around. They just call Sergei. themselves the Seattle Legends. Sergey Fedorov. Just everybody, like anybody who is retired from the NHL who can still skate, like just sign those people. From a Nick marketing Lidstrom. standpoint, I love it. <laughs> from a competitive like, standpoint, I-, I would feel bad for being a Seattle fan. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that's really it for the Hawks and the Wings news of the podcast. Um, let's go ahead and jump into the NHL, though, because I feel like there's a lot to break down right now. So let's talk about the playoff format first, because I think that's probably the biggest piece of news to talk about. Um, when the season got put on high hit, is basically everyone was asking, you know, what's going to happen with the playoffs? What's going to happen with the draft lottery? These were all question marks that we didn't have answers to. At this point, it's not just speculation. At this point, actual talks are starting to go on between the league itself, the PA. Really, the actual key players are talking about this now. So this actually has legs at this point. How do you guys feel about this 2014 playoff situation? I'm fine I'm, with it. Go ahead. Um, I'm fine with it. Um, you know, with everything going on with COVID-19 and, you know, people being out of work and all this stuff happening with health and 
80, 90,000 dead now. People need something to kind of get a spark back. And so by having, you know, a larger playoff format, if they're able to play and having fans of teams that, you know, may have just missed out the playoffs now being in the playoffs, it gives them something to look forward to while they're still probably stuck at home on a stay at home order. Yeah. I, uh, I think that as long as the players association, you know, as long as the union signs off on it and they feel good, I like the fact that there's the play in rounds. Mm-hmm. And so there's people that not, I mean, yes, it's the playoffs. They're jumping into it. But there's like a, the five, you know, the best of five round to get people into it. My big concern is them coming back cold like that after a lot of people are just now starting to be able to get back on the ice. I'm a little worried about health and safety issues, but I think that this is the best move for the league generating revenue to salvage the season. It's the best news for you know the players. The a lot of their salaries are going to get lost in escrow and whatnot if they don't play out some of the rest of the season. Anything like this that's going to be able to give people sports right now, the revenues that we're going to get from that they're going to get from us watching it are going to be fantastic because we're not watching anything else. People are going to be so desperate for sports that even people who wouldn't typically watch hockey, I think are going to watch this. And I think that's going to be good for the league to grow the league. And I think that's going to be good for salvaging it. No, I like the 2014 playoff format a lot. I, I like the play in rounds. I like those because of the fact that like you guys have said, you know, it lets these fans of these teams who may not have necessarily been a playoff team, have something to watch, something to root for. I mean, and on top of that, there were a lot of teams who went out who were buyers or sellers at the deadline. The this like this gives those teams the chance to not get. I don't want to say burned, but there's no really no other w- word for it for the trades that got moved at the deadline. I mean, can you imagine being one of those teams that traded, you know, a first or a second round draft pick, and then? the playoffs were just no more. You basically just threw draft picks away for a playoff that wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I feel like this has got to be one of the most fair ways they can do it. Yeah. They, they had to figure something. I mean, Tampa got rid of two first round picks at this trade deadline. And, you know, going off that, not only did people give up picks or trade players, but there's all those conditional picks that are so mm-hmm. just left in this nebulous abyss you have to have some form of resolution to that or you're going to have a lot of you know people wondering where do i stand what is this pick i like i didn't realize that tampa gave up two firsts at this uh this like this deadline cuz they gave up a first for goodrow uh barclay goodrow or whatever i swear they gave up another first round pick ooh tampa yeah. going all in <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. Look at the team. I would too. But then this. <laughs> no. Yeah. That, that would hurt a lot of teams that, you know, made these deals. Yeah. That, you know, especially the conditional ones. I think we have a couple conditional ones too still. I can't remember if any of the wings are conditional or not, but actually I think it's, what was it? The Athanasio one's a conditional one. Yeah. You're uh, so, yeah. the fourth that you have from Edmonton. Uh, it's a, 2020 conditional for a fourth round upgrades to a 21 third round. If Edmonton advances to the conference final and green plays in 50% of the games. So, I mean, that's also another thing, I guess I hadn't really thought about like the conditional picks, but I overall this, 
I think this has got to be the fairest system that the league can do right now, especially considering the fact that those games that were left in the season, there's no way you're going to salvage them at this point. So I feel like you kind of just have to assume those teams that are made it. I mean, there's no other fair way to do it. And there's no way of forcing some of these teams that are so like the Red Wings or Ottawa to come back and say, Hey, you know how you've got a meaningless season left. We're going to need you to play those out and risk your safety and your well-being. Yeah. There's no justifying that. The other piece of news, at least it's league specific to talk about this week. Um, also, I was reading this online and unfortunately I don't have the actual articles in front of me that I was looking at, but basically there have been talks of the NHL CBA being reworked. So for those that, don't know the CBA it's uh the collective bargain agreement basically it's talking about like the salary cap system stuff like that um a couple notable things that I read up and if either of you two read anything about this as well feel free to chime in um the one that really stuck out to me though was the fact that I've seen talks about potentially eliminating the front loading of contracts and also shortening the max length of a contract that can be signed. So basically the ideas of a team signing a guy to eight years, it now goes to, you can only sign for five. And also you can't front load a guy, a contract so that he'll sign with you knows he's not going to play the contract out and still gets his payday. Anyway, that sort of eliminates that just those two alone. How do you guys feel about those changes if the league were to try to make that happen? I mean, I'd be fine with it. You have a lot of guys that are just locked up to crazy long deals. And you'll see, like, remember the old Kovalchuk deal where I forget how much he got paid before he kind of left? But it was just terrible cap management. So I'm perfectly fine with that. I like the fact that they can go longer again you'll be able to you know lock somebody up sometimes you can play the long game and get them on a shorter you know monetary amount by giving them a couple more years of stability and if you're able to spread that out i to me that's tying gm's hands a little bit with what can be some clever cap moves which Mm -hmm. i get why that's in the cba especially with the front loading uh i don't I guess I don't mind it, but it's definitely going to make the salary cap a little trickier to maneuver. Um, now, I'm curious, like, do you guys have any changes to the CBA that you think should be made this coming? Um, I don't want to say lock, or I don't want to say a lockout because I hope there's not another lockout. But <laughs> no, I that would be bad. I right now, I I just think that the big thing that is going to get brought up has got to be escrow. That's the thing that always seems to get thrown around with the fact that the players' salaries are tied to that and how much they're losing and giving up at the end of the year uh, to give back to the, like, in profits, profit sharing and whatnot. That's not something that me as a fan, I have no vested interest in it one way or the other, but I'm terrified that that wedge is going to bring us to another lockout because I don't see, I don't see the board of governors backing down from that because that's a massive win for them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, yeah, that, that's going to be a tricky one. I mean, I'm trying to think of 
any changes that I would make to the CBA. I mean, I definitely would like to see some sort of some sort of change to the way that buyouts work. I think that the current system right now is not a good system. Um, just because of how LTIR gets factored in and how like sometimes like through no fault of an organization at all, a player gets injured and their cap screwed, not because the GM made bad decisions, but because accidents happened. Like, I mean, Johan Franzen is a great example of this for the Red Wings, right? I mean, he got signed a pretty decent sized contract and nobody could have predicted that concussion to him. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden the wings hands are tied, not because a bad signing was made, not because a player didn't pan out, but literally just an accident happened. Yep. I wouldn't mind seeing changes to that happen in the CBA. Building off that, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something in the CBA negotiations about how long-term injured reserve is dealt with and basically how it becomes player graveyard to basically retire players ahead of time to save cap space. Uh, you know, Arizona sort of became a joke for a couple years with the, the Hosa contract and, you know, I think Boland ended up there. Is is Datsuk there? Uh, Datsuk did get traded there. Okay, like, that's something that I know people have called for out of frustration to be like, hey, this team is dealing with this, and then they just basically sunset players and put them on long-term injured reserve. It wouldn't surprise me that if there's, like, NHL executives they are going to advocate for changing the concept or changing the overage structure, you know, like you talked about uh, whether it's to help their team because of no fault of their own, something happened like that or to prevent teams from using it as a complete get out of jail free card. No, I would like, this is actually what, how I think that LTIR should work. I think that as long as a player is evaluated by an NHL approved physician or doctor, that doctor can deem whether the player is healthy or not to play in the NHL. And if the doctor deems that the player is not healthy, they should be exempt from the cap from the team at that point, as long mm-hmm. as it's going to be more than, you know, X amount of time. Now what X amount of time is, I'm not sure, but in my opinion, that should be how LTIR works. It's a simple system. It's easy to understand it's kind of hard to manipulate because the NHL would have to have their own doctors evaluate these players. Right. No, I like that a lot. And I think that you would have to include a stipulation like if they're on this long-term injured reserve that makes them not count against the cap, they can't play this year. And you'll have to, like, a special type of long-term injured reserve that it's like we can reevaluate them in the offseason or we can reevaluate them next year, but... If you're doing this and they're going to not count against the cap, they can't play this year. And that way you don't see teams trading. Like I don't think that they should be able to be traded either at that point because the idea of trading the dead money, you know, I think that that would be the only fair way to move forward without long-term out injured reserve. I don't know, but I, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm sure there are going to be some changes that are made to the CBA eventually. I just... It, again, it's more of like a business side uh, piece of news for the league that we doesn't usually get talked about very often. So I kind of just wanted to hit on that a little bit. Yeah, I love it. I uh, When I was getting my master's in human resources, I wrote a research paper on the uh, 05 lockout in my labor negotiations class. <laughs> so I love this stuff. Um, 
And then the last piece of news that I can think of is that the AHL has officially called their season done. Um, so basically the players in Rockford aren't playing, the guys in Grand Rapids aren't playing. I understand this move, and the AHL does not make anywhere near as much money as the NHL does, obviously. We all know that. But I almost feel like in some ways this is kind of a disservice to the players. I mean, yes, they're going to be able to go back home and spend time with their families and train, you know, wherever they want to train there. But that is not the same as quality reps against competition similar to you. I mean, those reps matter. I mean, a guy like Moritz Sider, for example, who wants to crack the NHL next season, going on a playoff run, that is huge for his development. I mean, how do you guys feel about the shutdown? I mean, it's... It's disappointing, and you're absolutely correct. Uh, you know, a lot of our young guys on, you know, all the teams would love to be getting these reps. You've got veterans, especially people who were former NHLers that are chasing one last season or trying to prove that they can still do it. But on the other hand, the AHL probably doesn't have the same, not only funds, but the same kind of technology available to them to make sure that they can keep the season going with the safety conditions that the NHL is able to put forward. And the risk in continuing, you know, because they're, you know, taking a lot more buses, they're taking a lot, you know, the the distancing and the, the towns and the cities that are, you know, infected, I don't know if they're going to be able to safely bring this back or continue that season in a way that the NHL might be able to, uh, I think that the risk outweighed the reward for him. I think it's the right call. I think it's a, you know, it sucks. I'm not Mm -hmm. bummed. I love the hogs, but I think it's the right call. Yeah, it's definitely the right call. Like why risk it? Um, these guys are young. They'll they'll be playing. Yes, they're losing some time to develop, but they're still finding ways to, you know, work out, get some training in, It'll be fine. Um, but yeah, I think that's really it for this uh, this episode of the podcast. Does anybody else have anything to add before we close this this one out? Just uh, just wanted to say, you know, thanks. Uh, it's been a great first run. I appreciate it. Yes, it has. Welcome aboard. Thank you. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, that's going to basically wrap it for our show for tonight. Then, um, as always, we want to thank you guys for tuning into the episode, uh, lending us your ears to listen to our our rants and rambles for however long we record for. Um, As always, if you liked what you heard, feel free to give us a follow, a like, a share, a tweet, whatever the social media currency of choice is on the platform that you found us on. Um, If you want to listen to the podcast, other episodes of it are available on SoundCloud. The SoundCloud is soundcloud.com slash stickbladepodcast. All one word, no underscores or anything like that. You can also find us on Twitter. You can follow us at stickbladepod. You can find the podcast on iTunes as well. Again, just type in the Stickblade Podcast on the Apple Store. You can find us there. Um, and now we're also on Facebook, so feel free to give us a like on Facebook as well. You can stay up to date with the show. Um, I try to post episodes pretty much as soon as we have them uploaded. So feel free to give us a follow or a like on Facebook. And if you want to send us any sort of emails or questions or rude comments, um, inflammatory insults. You can do that as well via email. Uh, if you need to email the podcast, our podcast email is stickbladepodcast at gmail.com. So whatever you want to use to get in touch with the podcast, there are plenty of avenues to do that. And as always, 
for your host, Jordan Linscott, and my co-host, David Barnhouse and Tim Stampanato. We'd like to thank you guys again for listening to this edition of the Stickblade Podcast. You guys stay safe and take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and let's see if maybe hockey comes back here. But in the meantime, have a good evening.